our speaker of the hour, and not him only, but also uh, hopefully many of you are in attendance at the Bible school hour this morning and had a chance to hear Dr. Mark Hooper. Um, your missions committee this week has attempted to surround you with messages and reminders uh, of the importance of missions. And further than that, your local involvement with missions and with articles I hope you read and pondered. Uh, it continues with A, a, a Bible marker, a book marker, if you wish, or a reminder, a simple reminder, which you're encouraged to take, one or several, uh, and use this to, as a reminder of the contact points and the various works that are ongoing, uh, that will be ongoing over the course of the year, the men and the women that are serving in foreign fields, uh, and also the men and women that are serving here locally in the different tasks and different uh, mission points that we have involvement with. Also, in your Church Bolton this morning, I'd call your attention to the back page. The back page is an introduction for your speaker and also for his partner from uh, Missions Resource Network that came to be with us this entire weekend. Um, and, and they've given your missions committee some good food for thought and good instruction about how we ought to conduct ourselves generally and, and more specifically conduct ourselves with this Light for Brazil that is just about to launch. I encourage you to uh, pause and linger over the foyer displays. Each of those are set there intentionally as reminders for you to learn a little more about the specifics of the missions that we support and sustain. Uh, hopefully you'll give those a chance and uh, uh, they'll be available to you uh, through the middle part of the week, I believe. So uh, don't feel rushed to do that, but give those each a chance to look and linger. Uh, I would like to say just a word about Missions Resource Network. If you've been impressed with the qualifications and the ability of the men that have spoken to you this morning and the man that you're about to hear, Brother Jay Jarbo, if you're impressed with them, you'd also be impressed with the training and the preparation of the Brazil team. Uh, the Missions Resource Network has been a, a partner to training your missionaries to Brazil. And they're very effective in that. Uh, the, the point and the vision and the purpose of the Missions Resource Network is simply to plant churches churches of Christ, churches that we would be comfortable worshiping in and being a member of. Beyond that, their purpose is to equip senders, senders such as us, to give us instruction and know-how and ability to be able to sustain our missionaries once they go to foreign places and to keep them lively and true and, and, and able. And finally, Missions Resource Network aims to nurture the missionaries of the church, to care for them, to help them, to bring them home, to prepare them to re-enter into society and whatever purpose that they uh, uh, continue in their service to the Lord, either as missionaries for other fields and other assignments or to uh, re-enter the normal course of our culture. With that being said, I hope that you'll pray for Missions Resource Network and embrace them as a partner, uh, a partner to the church, a partner to Mount Juliet in our uh, future work uh, in, in preparing and sustaining our mission efforts. With that, I welcome our brother Jay Jarbo. Good morning. Turn with me to Acts chapter 13, if you would. Acts chapter 13, and we'll be there in a few moments. I suppose every parent has their favorite story of their children. I've been blessed with two children. Megan is 24, she's in med school, 
and Ryan is 20, and he will be going to Prato, Italy as an apprentice missionary this coming May. And we worked in Mexico City for six years. God blessed us to serve as a, a family, a mission family in Mexico City with five other families planting churches and making disciples in that great city of Mexico City. Ryan was actually born in Mexico. He has dual citizenship uh, as a Mexican citizen and also as a citizen of the United States. And when we returned, Megan was almost eight and Ryan was almost four. And it was a year or so after we had returned and, and Ryan was going to preschool and doing those things and getting back into the culture of the United States. And he came home one day just very excited. And he said, Mommy, Daddy, I was chosen as student of the week. And so they were choosing students to be students of the week, the star of the week, and got to have special things in classes. And one of the things that they did as the star of the week was to make a little booklet. And he brought that booklet home and he said, I have to fill out this booklet. And I've already filled out part of it. And I began to look at the booklet and it had one page was, what is your favorite color? What is your favorite food? What is your favorite television program? All the favorites. He said, Daddy, turn to the last page. And I turned to the last page. And the question at the top was, the person you admire the most? Well, like any good father, I kind of thought... Uh, maybe I'll look down at the bottom of the page and I'll see my name written there. I'll see dad written there. Even if he misspells it, it'll be all right with me. Well, I looked down the page and it was the person I admire the most, mommy. Well, I was a little bit disappointed, but that's okay. I'll take second fiddle to mommy anytime. And my son has inherited my wife's big, beautiful brown eyes. And Sherry was putting Ryan to bed that particular night and looked down at him and said, Ryan, I am so excited and pleased that you picked me as the person that you admire the most. Why did you write me down as the person you admire the most? And Ryan looked up at her with those big brown eyes and said, Mommy, I don't even know what the word admire means. That's why I put you. <laughs> so I was vindicated a little bit. But I want you to know my son has learned what the word admire means. And I also know what the word admire means. And I want to say very honestly and very sincerely, I admire God's work through the Mount Juliet Church of Christ. You are obviously a mission-minded church. I've been impressed with your family atmosphere and with your devotion to the Word of God. I've been impressed to see how you touch the world through your mission efforts, your sacrifices that you make here, not only giving to send to mission works and to send missionaries, like your project in Sudan and like in Ukraine and El Salvador, but you also send your own. You go on trips to El Salvador, you go on trips to Ukraine, you go on stateside mission trips, you are involved in missions and now you have a wonderful opportunity to send one of your own family. Nick and Amy Fowler, their son Jonah. You'll be sending one of your own to begin a new work in Belém, Brazil. Along with the great family that Sunset Church of Christ, 
who I ministered with for 24 years. Uh, they're partnering with the King family that's also on this team. So we have a partnership that glorifies the Lord in a very powerful and a special way. And we're excited about that. And I honor and admire the work that God is doing and has done in your life. How many of you remember? How many of you enjoyed Mission Impossible? I used to love when I got to stay up late on Saturday night to watch Mission Impossible. I can even hear the theme song rolling in my mind right now. Some of you might remember that. Now, perhaps I need to clarify. Anybody below 40, I am not talking about the new Tom Cruise version of Mission Impossible. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the real Mission Impossible. The television program Peter Graves was a star of it. And if you remember, his character was James Phelps. And every episode of Mission Impossible would start the same way. That he would find some high-tech gadget, very high-tech at that time, a reel-to-reel -reel recorder. He'd find that and he would put play on the recorder. And the message would begin. And it would begin something like this. Good morning, Mr. Phelps. And they would begin to explain the mission. And as they explained this seemingly impossible mission, at the end, the tape recorder would say, your mission, should you decide to accept it, and would explain the mission. And then it would end with this statement. This tape will self-destruct in five seconds. And you have the smoke coming out of the tape. If you watched that television program, did you ever see him walk away from a mission? Did you ever see him say, nope, too hard, too difficult, too impossible, I don't think I'll try? Well, no, because you wouldn't have a television series if you, if you did that. Because his reason for existence was to fulfill this mission impossible. You see, and I find a lot of similarities in our mission. Because God has spoken to his people. He's spoken to us. And he said, as you're going in this world and as you're sending people out, I want you to make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And don't just stop there, but teach them to observe. Disciple them and train them and teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And if I was one of those disciples in the original that listened to this and listened to my Lord give me that, that challenge, that mission, that commission and assignment, you know how I'd feel? I would feel impossible. How is that possible? And maybe we feel that today. This world is growing, six billion plus, I'm getting closer to seven billion all the time. How is it possible to make disciples of every nation? And you need to listen to this last line of the commission. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We're not alone. God has called us as partners together in his mission. This is not ours. 
This is not owned by us. It's owned by the Lord. It's His mission. And He has invited us as partners to be a part of this great mission. What are the qualities of a church that is on mission? That fulfills that mission? What are the qualities? What are the characteristics? Go with me to Acts chapter 13. And let's look at one of these churches. One of these churches that... Were on, that was on mission, that had a mission and understood their mission. If you read with me in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, it talks about a church in Antioch. In the church in Antioch, there were prophets and there were teachers. Some of those named were Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And there was also Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and they were fasting, the Holy Spirit said to this church, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them out. And that was the beginning of the first and then it ended, it took into the second and the third missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas and others who were so as exciting as the gospel spread throughout the ends of the world at that time. It started in the Gentile world with the church at Antioch. You see, we are a part of that great heritage. In just a few weeks, you'll be doing very similar to what Antioch did with Paul or in Saul and Barnabas. You'll take the Fowler family, Nick and, Amy, Nick and Amy and Jonah, and they'll be joining the King family, sponsored by Sunset. And you'll be able to worship with them. You'll be able to, to put your hands on them. You'll be able to send them out. You see, we're a part of a heritage of mission churches. So how do we arrive at that point? Well, go back with me to Acts chapter 11. Because there were some preceding things that took place that led Antioch to have the qualities of a church that not only sent, but was sent into their community. Look with me in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. There were those that were scattered because of the persecution of Stephen that you read about in Acts chapter 7. And some of those who were scattered traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, and they were telling the message only to the Jews. But some of them, a man, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And it says, The hand of the Lord was on them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Tell me, who was the man who started the church at Antioch? What was the name of the mission team and the families on the mission team that started the work in Antioch? Tell me their names. Well, you look in the text, it just says men from Cyprus and Cyrene. You see, that's what I love about God. It's not about us. God is using ordinary, unnamed people that will be forgotten but yet he's, he's using them to do the impossible, to do some amazing things. And that's what will take place in Brazil. They may not ever remember, but these men and women will touch lives of people that will become the ones that will plant churches in Brazil and expand the gospel all across that region. 
So what is the characteristic? What is the quality? What's the foundation? What's the DNA of a mission church? Well, what I see here is that Antioch was a church on mission. And one of their first characteristics that I see in the text that we just read was that a church on mission looks to Jesus, has one central message. It's a clear message. It's a message that we've had from the very beginning, and it's repeated over and over from one generation to another, and that is simply the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what they spoke, wasn't it? They began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them good news of Jesus Christ. You see, that's our message. That's the message that you're commissioning the Fowlers to go down to Brazil and preach. As they learn language, as they learn the Portuguese language and the culture, they will be saying and telling the same gospel message that you're spreading out here in Mount Juliet. And that is Jesus Christ and Him crucified and Him raised. You see, the message is not complicated. Sometimes we complicate it. Sometimes we mix it up with all of our thoughts and our traditions. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, he's speaking to that church at Corinth and he says, I determined to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you with weakness. I came to you with fear. And as a former missionary and a continuing missionary, I know something about that fear. I know something about arriving in this strange country where you don't know the language and you don't know the people and you weren't raised there. But somehow you have to find the way to communicate. And through insignificant, weak vessels, God uses because the power is not in the vessels. The power is not in us. The power is not in the people. It is in the message of Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul said, I determined to know nothing while I was among you, but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Because I don't want your confidence resting in me, resting in the human skills. I want your confidence resting in the power of God. And that's why he writes in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed, as some people are, Paul says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of the gospel message of God, because it is the power of God unto salvation, first for the Jews and also for the Gentiles, because it's this message that is the power of salvation. It's the message of Jesus Christ. And that's why he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, he says, I'm just passing on to you what was delivered to me. What you received, what you stood on, what you believed in, what you accepted is simply this message. Jesus Christ lived. God in the flesh incarnate. But he was crucified. He was crucified for us and on the third day he was raised to give us hope of an eternal life from this world. It is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we have no other message. We have no other gospel. It is the message of Jesus Christ that has to be preached clearly and honestly and openly. And we have to show Jesus in the life that we live. A church on mission looks to Jesus. But a church on mission also lives in grace. Go back with me to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11 the church in Jerusalem heard about this new church in Antioch. I've got to think that they were a little bit curious. 
might have little been a little bit nervous about what these Gentiles are now doing. And if you look in Acts chapter 11, verse 22, he says, News of this reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When they arrived, or when he arrived, my version says he saw evidence of the grace of God. He was glad, he was encouraged, and he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Because you see, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Just a parenthesis here, you are sending out some of the highest quality, well-prepared missionaries I've seen in a while. Through their training at Sunset International Bible Institute, through their training in the School of Mission, through their training with MRN, Mission Resource Network, this is a well-prepared team, full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, just like Barnabas was. But go back to the text. When Barnabas arrived at Antioch, what did he see in this church, this mission church? He says he saw evidence of the grace of God. I find that interesting. I find that curious. What is evidence of the grace of God? How do you see the grace of God? Well, I would just challenge you to look through the, the text, look through the New Testament sometime, just looking at this concept of grace and how do you see it? How do you experience it? How can you find evidence of the grace of God here in this church? Well, first of all, you can think about Acts chapter 8 with the Ethiopian eunuch. As he was taught the way of Jesus more accurately, he was told about Isaiah and what this prophet, this suffering servant was to be, Jesus Christ. And he said, look, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said nothing. And so they stopped the chariot and he was buried with Christ in baptism and he was raised to walk in newness of life. And it says that the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. That's evidence of the grace of God. But listen to the words in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 through 14 says, The grace of God has appeared. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives for Christ. There's also evidence of the grace of God. Transformation. A, uh, a turning away from that old life and turning toward Christ. And you even see that in Acts chapter 11 when it says that a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Transformed life is an evidence of the grace of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 15 says that this is all for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow. So Barnabas was seeing joy. He was seeing transformed lives. He was seeing thanksgiving being given to God. And he was saying here is evidence of God's grace and God's work. But there's another evidence of the grace of God. If you would look with me in Acts chapter, or 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. Those will be two good chapters to kind of peruse and talk about because in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he's referring to a group of people that were poverty stricken, but even in their poverty, they gave of their resources for others who were in need. And he says that God has given you a grace of giving. 
See, that's the evidence of the grace. That we give of our resources just like you did. And I think I read you gave over 200,000 to missions this last year. We'll probably do more. And see, that's evidence of the grace of God. And so a church on mission loves the family of God and is giving of their resources so that family can be expanded. Turn with me or go back with me to Acts chapter 11. And you'll see in verse 27 that during this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them was named Agabus. And Agabus stood up and through the Spirit he prophesied and predicted that there would be a severe famine that would spread all over the entire Roman world. What did they do when they heard of that news? It says in verse 29, the disciples, each according to his ability decided to provide help for the brothers living in Jerusalem. This they did by sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. You see, that giving, that grace of giving is evidence of their love for the family of God and that family to be expanded and taken care of. I've heard recently you've done the same thing. When news of the terrible earthquake in Haiti hit, you responded. You responded by giving. You responded by joining congregations to put together bags or buckets and of supplies to send. You see, that's all about the mission of God. That is a mission church on their mission. A church on mission loves the family of God. And you see, there's a special relationship between a church on mission and the ones that they send. Paul and Barnabas... Saul and Barnabas were sent out by the church at Antioch on their first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13. And at the end of Acts chapter 14, they came back and they reported to the church everything, the door that God had opened to the Gentiles. And see, that's what you'll experience with the Fowlers. You'll pray over them. You'll send them out. You'll be praying for them and communicating uh, through emails and through the computer and through different new technology ways that we can communicate to one another and you'll be ministering to them and listening to them and loving them and encouraging them and they'll come back and they'll tell you about how God has touched the lives of lost people. You see, you're part of this continuation of the mission story of God by joining mission churches like Antioch to be a church on mission. And they'll be able to speak words to you like Paul spoke to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 1 verse 3. When he said to that church at Philippi, I thank my God every time I remember you. Remember you in my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership with me in the beginning until this day. The Sunset Church of Christ in Lubbock, Texas sent me and my family to Mexico in 1987. I've been with the church at Sunset for close to 24 years. That eldership have ministered to me through several difficulties in my life. They were my shepherds and they continue to be my shepherds. And that's the relationship I have with them. And I remember them with joy, the partnership that we continue to have to this day. And that's the relationship that Paul had with the church at Philippi. And that's the relationship the Fowlers will have with you. And that's why he says here in Philippians chapter 1, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus' return. That's what the text says. You've been patient. 
It's, you've been hearing about Brazil for a while, haven't you? But there's been preparation. There's been some struggles. But God has overcome and you are to the point in a few weeks that you'll be sending them out. And what they would want to say to you is what all, Paul also said to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 4 down around verse 17 and following. Paul said to the church at Philippi, there wasn't a church that, that sent me anything when I was in need but you alone. And he says in 4.17 of Philippians, not that I am looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. It's not the money the Fowlers are looking for. It's not just the check that goes into their bank account. Of course, they need to that for to live. But what they're looking for is the same thing Paul was looking for. The profit, the fruit that may be credited to your account. Because you'll hear of families that were brought to the Lord. And that will become your fruit. And you'll get to know those families through emails or even through visits. And you'll see how they will extend the gospel in Brazil. And you will share in the fruit of God's work. What is a church on mission? A church on mission looks to Jesus, has one singularly focused message of God. A church on mission lives and gives evidence of the grace of God. A church on mission loves the family of God. And a church on mission understands that they send and that they are sent. Just as the church in Antioch did in Acts chapter 13 as they sent out Paul and Barnabas. And as you continue that tradition and send out the Fowlers. You see, because in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, he gives us our identity. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You don't put a light under a bushel, but you put it on the hill. You put it so that all will see. And he says, therefore, let your good works be seen by men, not so that they'll pat you on the back, but so that they will see your good works and praise and glorify our Father in heaven. You see, we are a church on mission. So the question today is, are you at Mount Juliet, a church on mission? Perhaps the best way to answer that question is not to speak in general terms, but to speak in specific terms. Am I a disciple on mission? You see, because this church is made up of members, made up of disciples. And you may want to point the finger at missionaries. You may want to point the finger at ministry staff. You may want to point the finger at elders. But this church is made up of individuals. And this church will only be what you will be. So if you're a disciple on mission, both sending and being sent out, this church will be a church on mission. Perhaps you haven't even started that journey today. This whole talk of mission, you're saying, I need somebody to be mission for me. My life's a wreck and I need some help. I, I haven't been here long, but I know there's some good people here that want to love you and serve you and help you and point you to Jesus. Maybe you need to recommit yourself to this great mission task. If there's a way that the elders here and the ministry staff can serve you, we want to invite you to come while we stand and while we sing. I will sing, I will sing, I will sing of
here this evening at 6 o'clock, and we'll meet again midweek on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. So thank you for being here, and you're always welcome back at uh, any of those times mentioned. Let's sing this last song. If the uh, young soldiers would please collect the cards while we sing this last song, and we will be closed in prayer. <clears throat> Over all the 